right, good morning, High Desert Word Center. How is everybody on this beautiful January morning? Amen. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord together. We're going to sing His praises. We're going to read His word. And we're going to love on His people. It is going to be a fantastic day today. Amen. All right, well, let's stand up together. We are going to open up. Just like always, by speaking some words of faith over the United States of America. And we're going to keep believing and decreeing that this nation is coming to Jesus. Can we get an amen today? Amen. All right. Let's speak these words of faith together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and in unity. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice, and judgment from you shall prevail. We declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school, and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Give the Lord some praise today. Very good. Well, we're going to take a few minutes here, just like we always do, and go give a little love to everybody. So make sure you shake some hands. Give some hugs. People really love hugs these days. And some fist bumps. Just make sure everybody gets a little love. All right, let's go. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, no other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
pardon. For my part in this I see Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my cleansing this I plead Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is that flow That makes me white as snow No other fountain, no Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. some announcements for us here. Uh, we are uh, getting up and rolling again. We kind of took a few weeks there to recover from Christmas, but we are definitely um, getting ready for some events and some awesome stuff. So, amen. Who has missed Marrieds? Anybody miss Marrieds? Lift Marrieds? Marrieds group? Oh, that is lame. Okay, if you're married, raise your hand right now. Okay, you missed Marrieds. I knew it. So, February... 17th, it's right after Valentine's Day. We're going to have a big Italian dinner. There's free child care. Y'all just come, okay? February 17th at 6.30. So you raise your hand and you are married. You have to bring food. Oh, you do need to bring food. It's a big Italian dinner and you're bringing the food, okay? So, <laughs> so you each bring a dish to share and some chocolate, you know, whatever you have left over from from Valentine's Day, you bring that. And we will have lift groups back in full swing in February. Who knows what's coming in June? Thank you, all three of you. Where's the participation this morning, okay? You're in the house of the Lord, and he likes to hear from you. So in June, our trip to Honduras is coming, and today we're having an interest meeting, and there's some fundraisers coming up. So Miss Cindy Grow is going to explain some of that. Okay, again, just a reminder, in the coffee bar, there will be a meeting immediately after church today to get some information and some paperwork to you. And also next week we'll have our first fundraiser. It's called Pick a Number. And in the back there will be a display with envelopes numbered 1 through 50. And so you pick a number and you put that corresponding amount of money in the envelope. And on the back there will be a place for you to put your uh, name and uh, number on there. And then you'll just drop it in a box. There'll be a, donate, a, a missions box back there. And you drop the envelope in there. So 
That's what we'll do next Sunday, so be prepared. Thank you. Okay, she hates when we do that, but she's so good at it. So if you are interested in going on that trip, make sure that you meet with her in the coffee bar after service. And I wanted to let you know for offering time, the missions trip funds are all set up. So you can give electronically as well as on your envelope if you would like to participate in giving rather than going, which is how I've participated for a lot of years. I sometimes like that. Yeah, some sent and, you know, some just pay for them to go. So anyway, if you would like to donate towards that trip, don't just circle missions, put trip on your envelope and we'll make sure that it gets to that group as well. Uh, tomorrow, speaking of giving, tomorrow your giving letters will come out. I wanted to give you a heads up so you could be looking for them. They come via email. So any email that you have attached to your giving Um, electronically or by checking your children in or what have you, it will go there. If you do not have an email with us, then Wednesday you will have a hard copy available at the information booth. So if you have any questions on that, you can ask the information booth or you can call the church office, but please be looking for that in your email. There is a chance that it will go to your spam. So please, please look at your email before noon tomorrow. Um, membership class is coming and (laughs) I feel like all of you are members already. Like that's just in my head. Oh, they're members already. But pastor Dave tells me that you all need membership class because some of you are not membership class gives you the full information on what our church believes and gives you some quality time with pastor Dave about three hours of it. (laughs) Alex is like, yeah. Um, so if you would like to, (laughs) okay, Alex, if you don't know Alex, Alex is a product of the house. Um, Alex has been here since he was knee high to a grasshopper forever. And he was not an easy child to raise. He's not our child. (laughs) He's not our child, but we participated in helping raise him and, Praise God. He loves Jesus and he serves the Lord and none of us are perfect, but he sure is trying. So we love him very, very much. Product of the house. We're proud of that one. Anyway, um, also product of the house. I'm sort of pointing like, what is that? The fifth row back in this section. Um, Mr. Ronnie Whitnack is also a product of the house. Yep. He was here at Christmas, but he had to leave. So I was trying to not embarrass him, but It's the second time now I can embarrass you. Anyway, we love you, Ronnie. Um, Make sure if you would like to know more about our church and more about what the belief system is or if you have questions on something that's been preached or just want to know more, make sure that you sign up for membership class. Um, We once were asked if membership requires dues. No, this is not a union, okay? This is... This is a church family, okay? It's not the country club or your union dues. So please just try it out. Check it out. You can ask any questions you would like to about the church at that time as well. And it gives you time to, you know, ask questions to the pastor as well. Things like, where'd you get all that denim? Praise the Lord. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just on on a roll today. If you are with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, can you wave at me, please? We are crazy here, but we're so glad to have you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Miss Heather has some information about the church for you. And if you would bring that card to the information booth after service, she has a gift for you as well. I'm so glad that you're with us today. 
stay till the end. It's this crazy all the time, but we do love Jesus. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, who knows what time it is now? Yes, sir. It is happy time. And you're like, well, what's that all about? Well, the Bible tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. And so we said, hey, we'll be cheerful and happy when we get a chance to give. Amen. All right. Well, pastor's going to take up our Sunday morning tithes and offerings. Amen. offering envelope for your tithes, for your offerings. And uh, I want to share with you a couple things out of the Word of God. Am I coming through there good, Chuck? I, I can't hear me at all up here. we got mantras or anything working. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. And then we're going to look at Malachi chapter 3. And you need to understand the principle of the tithe, or we say the law of the tithe. And I know that... Uh, I came from Indiana originally. We had a lot of religious people out there that tried to talk people out of the blessing of God for being a person that, that tithes. And they'd always say things like, that's just the Old Testament, that's not for now. That's not the New Testament. Well, let me ask you a question if you know your Bible. Is the book of Hebrews in the Old Testament or the New Testament? New Testament. New Testament. Well, the book of Hebrews basically is about Jesus' present-day ministry. All through the book of Hebrews, it tells you things that Jesus is doing now as the head of the church. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has a whole lot of things he does now working with you and working with me in our lives on earth. But anyway, I want you to look at Hebrews 7, verse 8. Hebrews 7, verse 8. And it says, Here men that die receive tithes. Well, I want to live a long time. But if the rapture doesn't happen first, I'm going to die. That's just the way it is because we're here. And, you know, no matter how good you are, how much you love Jesus, you're going to die someday too. Hopefully he's going to live a long time to do it. And I believe for a long time. But he says here on earth, men that die receive tithes. Well, right now I'm getting ready to receive tithes and offerings for God. That's what preachers do in church, receive tithes and offerings. But then it says, but there he receiveth them. Of whom it is witness that he liveth. There he receiveth them. And so there's a spiritual, there's a spiritual part, and there's a natural part. And I, I learned a long time ago that I didn't tithe to a preacher. I prayed tithe to Jesus. And so my wife and I, all of our married life, whatever we get paid, whatever we get increased, we write out a check, because we still do checks. We do things online sometimes we have to. But we do checks, and we both together bow our heads. We hold our check up to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, we want to thank you for blessing us. We want to thank you, Lord, that your cause of things go well in our life and our family. Receive this tithe, Jesus, and we just want to thank you, Lord. Your word's true, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. Your word's true. In Jesus' name, amen. And then that's done, and so by the time we get to church, Jesus has already received our tithe of the Spirit. And that's really important. Did you see that? Verse 8 says he receives them. Well, if you believe when you're praying about anything else that he's listening, then why wouldn't he be listening about this part? And let me ask you another question, too. Like I said, I don't think we got religious people out here in California like we had back in Indiana. But I can say this. If tithe wasn't for today, 
that why the book of Hebrews would say you still receive them today. Well, that knocks that one out of the water, doesn't it? Now look at Malachi chapter 3, and, and I'm going to share with you. I was, I was out at, uh, I didn't go there, but I was at a special meeting at Old Roberts University back in July of 1985. Matter of fact, Pastor Dave wasn't even born yet. But I was at, in July of 1985, I was at, at Old Roberts University for, for some special things. And Old Roberts got up and talked about this verse right here, and he really helped me to understand the law of the tithe. And we talk about the law of the tithe. We're not talking about a law. If you break the law, you'll get a ticket. We're talking about a spiritual law, like gravity is a natural law. How many understand gravity? If something falls, it's always going to go down. And, you know, I know I wasn't real, real smart in school about a lot of things, but I remember when they taught chemistry things, that H2O always produces water. Hydrogen, oxygen, you mix things right. So in other words, natural laws, uh, laws of physics, always do the same thing every time if you follow them. And so spiritual laws are exactly like that. When you obey spiritual laws, you get the same results every time. And how many know that you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved? That's the law of confession. Jesus said, you'll have whatsoever you say it. And so there's spiritual laws, and the law of the tithe is a spiritual law. And so I just want, to, want you to show you something, how this works. Verse 10, Malachi 3, verse 10, says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat, our spiritual food in my house. And so there's two things he's talking about there. Number one, he wants the pastor, the, the people that bring forth the word of God, to be able to give you meat. And that happens because the, the tithe belongs to meat to take care of the ministry. And so we're taken care of, so we're able to spend time with him instead of being out working a job all the time. So we can go into that Holy of Holies and find out what he wants to say to you today. And to be able to help you in life. He said, you bring the tithe in. And God said, that takes care of my house. They may be meat in the house. And then he says, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit for the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And let me tell you what that means. I was, I was talking to got a man here today named Mitch, and he's got a lot of alfalfa field stuff. We've known him for years, and so I know this would speak to him probably more than anybody else. I had a pistachio orchard, so I know a little bit about it. But he was talking to farmers. God was talking to farmers here in Malachi. He said, I'll open the windows of heaven. Well, the only time the Bible mentions the windows of heaven is like in the day of Noah. It says the windows of heaven opened and rain came out and flooded the earth. And so you're talking to farmers. They know what droughts do. And so God said, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Well, the blessing they needed on their crops was water. You understand what I'm saying? And also, I'm telling you how this works in your life as Christians today because Jesus receives the tithe. Well, the Bible, a lot of times, water is symbolic of the anointing of God. And so for Christians, he said, you bring the tithe in, I'll open the windows of heaven for the anointing on your life. And so it's not a one-time thing. You get into a blessing flow where your life's anointed. And, you know, we got a certain amount of anointing as believers anyway, but I'm talking about God's really, really powerful anointing that blesses your job, blesses your car, blesses your health, blesses your family. He said, I'll pour out the anointing upon you. There's not room enough to receive it. And so you get into a blessed life. And I want to say something. 
so many Christians have never been taught right about tithing, they think it's like a God tax. I got to pay my 10% tax to God. It's not a God tax. It's a voluntary thing you do out of obedience, but when you do it, then the windows of heaven open on you. Does it have anything to do with going to heaven? No, you call upon the name of the Lord. You get saved, you go to heaven. But it has everything to do with having more of heaven on earth in your life. When Jesus said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he wants the blessing on you. And then he said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Once again, we're talking to farmers. And if you get bugs come in, you get pestilence comes, and things begin to kill, steal your crops, it doesn't make any difference how much water you got. If the pestilence is there, if the insects are there, and they eat your crop, then you're broke. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer for you. He said, I'll take care of that. And then he said, that your fruit, your, your, your vines will not cast its fruit before the time in the field. And so if something happens, that thing's over-ripened real quick, and it goes rotten on the vine, it doesn't make any difference if there wasn't any bugs, if you had enough rain, if it rots in the field, then you lost. And when you're talking to farmers, you're talking about when harvest time comes, their income for the year. And so for modern-day farmers, that would be when harvest time comes, that's how you pay for your kid's college. That's how you pay for your house payment for the year. That's how you pay for the things you need for the year. And so for us, that would mean that God, and I've proved this in my life for a long, long time, nearly a half a century, God will cause your car to last longer than somebody else's car. God will cause your refrigerator. As a matter, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, when I came to California, I first got to California, I bought a car for $500. And how many years later was it? I sold for 512 years or 14 years? I don't know. You know, I drove that thing for 12 or 14 years, sold for $500. Still going. I remodeled a house back in Indiana, probably something like 25 years ago. I bought new appliances. Well, I gave one of them to my son, Joshua. I was at his house the other day, and that 25-year-old refrigerator still at his house, still doing what it does. My stuff doesn't break. My stuff lasts because I cooperate with the law of the tithe. God caused my stuff. And by the way, that, that car I sold, I had a mechanic in the church that worked on it. And after he worked on about 10 years, said, Pastor, by the way, you know, that's had a rod knocking ever since you bought it, don't you? I said, yeah, that's okay. God's taking care of it. But, I, I, you know, that stuff sounds, might sound goofy to you. But when you're a farmer and everybody's crops are getting ate up and dying off and yours is still very healthy and doing good, you can laugh your way all the way to the bank. Amen. And then one more thing, one more thing. Uh, my son David, when he, when he had leukemia and was crippled, I pointed him in the bed and was on my knees at the hospital. I said, Lord, the devourers tried to kill my son. And we're tithers. And I want to thank you for rebuke the devourer off my son's life. He started walking. His blood got totally, totally, totally leukemia-free in two weeks. Amen. I was talking to another one of my son's that had heart surgery this week. You know, it wasn't really, in the natural, supposed to be a really bad thing. It could have been bad. And as I prayed for my son this week, I said, Lord, I want to thank you that he's an adult now, but he's always been a tither. And we're a tithing family. I want to thank you, Lord, this heart surgery is going to go successful, going to go great. And I want, I want to make sure you understand this principle of it. You're not trying to talk God into doing something. You're already cooperating with the law of the tithe. And so because you're a faithful tither, 
There's anointing on your life for your finances, your family, your job, your health, your kids' health, your grandkids' health. And so this is something that is not, it's not a threatening type thing. It's just the more we teach the Bible, you understand, you understand the why of the Bible, then it makes it easy to obey the Bible and walk in the blessing of God. Does that help anybody? Hey, man, that, that's how this works. So let's stand up and let's make our financial faith confession. And just knowing that these things we're saying isn't just, we're not just chanting. You know, we're not some religious church that just has all of our whatever you want to call it, we do. This, we're confessing the principles of the Bible with this financial faith confession. And praise God, I know there's so many people here who can give testimonies of how this has worked in your lives. Amen. All right. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs, our better jobs, promotions. Commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritance, interest in income, rebates and returns, checks and bills paid off, debts paid off, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, need all my financial needs. That's a good gift. Give generously in the kingdom of God. Amen. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Feel free to join us up front at the altar for worship. And let's just sing together.
completely consumes me. I can't get enough, can't get enough of you. Your fire is burning right through me. I can't get enough, can't get enough of you. Every beat. Every beat is yours. You can have it all. Take over like only you can. All I'm reaching for. You and nothing more. Take over like only you can. Every beat is yours. You can have it all. Take over like only you can. All I'm reaching for. You and nothing more. Take over like only you can. tells us that if we draw close to God, he'll draw close to us. And that's what this song talks about. We just want to be closer to Jesus. So if you can't, let's just all sing this together. And I can't get enough. I know I can't get enough your amazing love of your amazing love I 
Jesus, I can't get enough. I sing, I can't walk away. And I can't walk away. I know I can't walk away. For I have seen your face And I can't walk away I sing, I just want to be where you are And I just want to be where you are Let's sing that And I just want to be near your heart There is nothing like your love Jesus, there is nothing like your love I can't get enough And I can't get enough No, I can't get enough Your amazing love Jesus, I can't get enough And I can't walk away And I can't walk away No, I can't walk away have seen your face and I can't walk away let's sing that out I just want to be and I just want to be where you are and I just want to be near your heart There is nothing like your love Jesus, there is nothing like your love Let's sing that again And I just want to be where you are And I just want to be near your heart There is nothing like your love Jesus, there is nothing like your love Let's just sing this simple bridge together And it just talks about how holy the Lord is Raise our hands and sing this. Sing holy to the Lord.
Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love. Let's raise our voices and sing that out again. Holy, 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 Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you. we love you and we praise you today and we can truthfully say there is nothing 
like your love, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to be in your presence, God, that you would even let us come into your presence, Lord. And we know that you said that we could come boldly under the throne of grace and receive help in our time of need, Lord, and, and receive mercy when we need it. Father, we thank you. And as we praise you today, Lord, we know that we are entering in to your presence and your presence is the shelter. Hallelujah. You know, as I'm, as I'm worshiping the Lord, I, what, I, there's a verse that I came across in March of 2020, right when the pandemic hit and everyone's just freaking out and going crazy. But I love this. It's in Psalm 31 and, and verse 20. It's talking about uh, those who fear the Lord, those who honor God. And it says, you hide them in the shelter of your presence. When we get into the presence of God, we are in the shelter. We are in the fortress. You know, all over the Psalms, it says, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. Amen. And so, you know, where I'm like, well, if there's a fortress, how do I get in it? I want to be in there. And how I get in to that fortress, into that shelter is by getting into the presence of God. And so when we worship him, when we praise him, it, it's not just song time. It's not just music time. It is worship time. It is praise time. It is getting into the presence of God time. And in his presence is the fullness of joy, it tells us. Amen. And so I encourage you to, to man, every day of our lives, we should be reading our Bibles. We should be praying. We know these things, but we should also be worshiping and praising the Father. That is part of it right there. That is part of it. And that gets us into the presence of God. Amen. Can we raise our hands this morning together? Amen. The Lord is good. And can we just sing that? Uh, I just want to be where you are one more time. Amen. I just want to be where you are. And I just want to be near your heart. Raise your voices. And there is nothing like your love. Jesus, there is nothing like your love. Can we sing that one more time? Just sing that out. And I just want to be where you are. And I just want to be near your heart. There is nothing. And there is nothing like your love. Jesus, there is nothing like your love. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would speak to us today. Jesus, we want to hear the truth. You said that if we would know the truth, the truth would set us free. And so I pray that you would speak to each person here today. You know what each one of us may be facing right outside of these doors. You know what each one of us has been dealing with. But we thank you, Jesus, that you are the answer. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you, Father, that we're coming unto you this morning. And we are asking you to change us, Father. We love you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord some praise today? Amen. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Well, you can make your way to your seats today and we're going to get into God's word. It's going to be a good day. Amen. Who believes that today is going to be a good day? Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice 
and be glad in it. Hallelujah. All right. Well, to kind of catch you up maybe to where we're at, um, we've started this year in a series called Roots, and we're talking about where our roots should be as Christians. And the reason for all this is uh, the, the theme verse, our, our, our main verse for this year, our focus is on this verse, Colossians 2.7. And so I'd like to look at that this morning before we really get into the rest of the message. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. Amen. All right. Hey, all right. thank you for your enthusiasm. Wow. Praise God. So Colossians 2 and, uh, and verse 7. And I love this verse. And, and it's really, this is what we're all about right now. Colossians 2, 7, it says, let your roots grow down into him. Amen. So where should your roots be growing down into? To God. Yeah. Amen. Not into, you know, your money, not into your politics, not into whatever. Your roots should be growing down into him. It says, and let your lives be built on who? Him. Amen. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. And this is the blueprint to you having a stable and successful life. Your roots have got to grow down into him. And we kind of looked at a few weeks ago, for instance, you know, a, a tree. And, and I talked about, I love the sequoia trees. I especially love General Grant, my favorite tree in the world. And it's awesome. It's 267 feet tall. And it's just incredible. But the thing is, is you can't grow very tall if you have shallow roots, right? And, and, and so how high up you can go in life all depends on how deep your roots grow. And often we look at, you know, maybe an incredible house or an incredible building, and we admire the windows, and we admire the roof, and we admire all these different things. But really, the best part of a stable and awesome house or building is it's got to have a very solid foundation. And so how long your life will your success will last. It all depends on the foundation and the root system. And there's a lot of very shallow people in this world. And I know that's not a very nice thing to say or very popular, but you look all around us, there's very shallow people that are expecting to be as big and strong and solid as a sequoia tree or something. But that didn't just happen by luck. That didn't just happen overnight. Those trees took a very long time to let their roots grow down and out and get strong. And it takes a while, if you're going to do this right, to lay the foundation for lasting success. And I'm not looking for a, a get-rich-quick scheme. I'm not looking for some magic pill to instantly make me successful. I know that lasting success takes a while. And you've got to get to this place in your life spiritually where you're like, you know what? I'm willing to put in the, the work. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm willing to put in the time that it takes to grow God's way. And when you do, man, you're like that guy that Jesus talked about uh, where, where, where he built his house on solid rock. And winds came and storms came and his house was still standing firm because it was built on the solid rock. And that's what we're talking about today. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about, I mean, the, the one of the biggest ways that you're going to get rooted in God is in his word. 
and, and I'll probably be going over that much, much more because, I mean, that's what we're all about, high desert, word center, and that's, you know, that's, that's our main thing, but, you know, your roots got to grow into the word of God if you're going to get strong, but today I'm going to also look at another way, another angle uh, that we need to be rooted in him, and today you picked a great day to be at church because we're going to be talking about church. Yeah. All right. I, I know you'd be excited. And, and I love church. I love church. And, and it's, you know, it's my favorite place in the world. I love coming to church. And you're like, well, that's just because you're a preacher. No, I've always loved it. I mean, I like church. I like being here. I like being around the people of God. I like moments like we just had five minutes ago when there's a whole bunch of voices all singing praise to God Almighty and not saying, Lord, give me, give me, give me. But you're saying, Jesus, I just want to tell you, I love you. You are holy. There's nobody like you. And when we do that and we worship God in what we would call the corporate sense, it's incredible what his presence and his spirit can do in us. And so... Again, today we're talking about being rooted, all right, Colossians 2-7. Specifically today, we're hitting the angle of the church. Now, the Christian church is approximately 2,000 years old. Uh, it started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and that's an incredible story to read. You ought to read that, Acts chapter 2, it's great. But Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon, and 3,000 people get saved all at once. And I'm like, Wow! That is, that must have been just incredible to be there for that. 3,000 people, he had no microphone, he had no fog machines, he had no light show, no electric guitars, none of that stuff. He preached and the power of God showed up and 3,000 people say, I want Jesus. And from this moment right here, the Christian church was born in Jerusalem and it was an incredible thing. And, the, and the, the Christian community, it starts growing. More people start joining, and it starts growing like wildfire. And Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I'm just going to quote this. It's not going to be on the screen. But it says this, all the believers, all these new Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals. You know, it's really godly and Christian-like to share meals with each other. Hey. You can tell them a good Christian, brothers. Come on now. I, I, I'll share some meals. You invite me over. We'll do those enchiladas all day long. Amen. Veronica, I love you so much. All right. And so they're sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And it says that all the believers met together in one place. So that tells me that there's something uh, scriptural about the believers joining together in one place and they shared everything they had. That's Acts chapter 2, 42 through 44, all right? And so it didn't take long as the church is growing and people are being added to it. The man, the devil got mad, just like he does when a thing of God gets started. And the local government got mad, which I've also found out tends to happen sometimes whenever, uh, you know, things of God get going. So these new Christians, this new church, they were persecuted at every turn. And a lot of them gave up their lives for their beliefs. They were so convinced that Jesus is real and that church is important that they died for it. Many of these guys, you look back at the, <laughs> the Roman Empire, 
They were fed to lions. Uh, they, they were beheaded. Uh, you know this. I mean, Apostle Paul, 65 A.D., they cut his head off. Peter, man, Peter, the Apostle Peter, they crucified him on a cross upside down. And all of this because they wouldn't back away from what they believed in. Now, we think of that as like, man, that was just crazy way back then. You realize that there's more persecution of Christians that takes place in our day and age than ever before? You're like, no, I don't believe that. I mean, I live right here in America. And, yeah, you've got it real good, sister. You have no idea how good you've got it. But to this very day, Christians around the world risk their lives weekly to go to church and be together. And you're like, i never seen it. Well, I'm telling you right now that uh, the World Watch List, they're a group that uh, tracks persecution. They report that every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day across the world, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians around the world are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. And I mean, I... you. Some of you guys know our missionary to India, Brother Julius. Man, they kidnapped his son from him one time uh, just because he's a Christian. And the Hindus kidnapped his son and, you know, held him for ransom. It's crazy. But listen, according to Pew Research, Christianity is by far the most persecuted religion in the world. And again, you may not think of that from the comfort of the good old U.S. of A., but our brothers and sisters across the world don't always have it quite as good and comfortable as we do. Now, hey, uh, let's let's just get real. We've got people, maybe not just at this church, but churches everywhere. They won't come to church if it's too cold. I know. But I've seen pictures of Christians in Ukraine meeting in frozen caves over the last year just so they could be together. We complain if it's too hot. And I'll, I'll just get real, be transparent. That's usually me. I complain when it's hot. I hate the heat. Okay, I'm putting myself on blast right now. But we complain if it's too hot. But there's Christians in Afghanistan and Iraq huddled in the middle of the desert today that are just grateful to see somebody else that's a Christian and they can hear God's word together. And so I'm telling you that there are people that would love to have our problems for just one day. So I ask you this morning, please don't take your freedom to come to a a heated church with Bibles in your own language and coffee and music, right, coffee, for granted. You've got it pretty good, right? I mean, uh, I've got it pretty good that I can come. There's there's walls, there's a roof, you know, may not be the warmest, it may not be the prettiest, it may not, you know, whatever, but we have got it pretty good. And so... Um, Leah, can you come up here? I was going to have Leah come up this morning. She's going to help me with something. All right. And you're like, I don't usually do this type of thing, but Leah. All right. Leah's our children's church director. And uh, anyway, great lady, great lady. But we're going to do a little segment of the service today. All right. Maylie, put that next screen up there, please. This is a segment that I like to call uh, lame excuse, common, but lame excuses. Can you put that back up there? This is a new segment to the service, all right? And if it goes well, maybe we'll make it a weekly thing. It probably won't be. (laughs) But anyway, this is common but lame excuses that people would give for not wanting to come to church, all right? And you're like, so just, just hear me out on this, but I was thinking, and, and th- these are just three common things that I've heard throughout my life from people that are like, man, I ain't going to no church. I'm like, well, dude, first of all, don't burp at me. Second of all, 
let me t- let me explain, all right? And so, anyway, Leah's going to be one of these people that give common but lame excuses, all right? I would never give this excuse. <laughs> but I don't want to force that on my kids. Oh, okay. So, so you don't want to force church on your kids. Okay. I get that. Well, I'm going to tell you this much. This is, this is what my answer would be to that. First of all, do you force them to go to school? <laughs> my kids don't ever want to go to school, but I force it on them. Why? Because I don't want them to grow up and be an idiot. All right? So, listen. Right? Thank you. Thank you. All right? Another thing is, do your, do your kids like eating vegetables? Okay, all right. right. (laughs) Work with me here. Work with me. Wait, did you guys hear that part? All right, so uh, this is totally ad. Yeah, no, all right. Do you make them eat their vegetables even when they don't want to? Okay, well, why do you do that? Because you know it's good for them, and it's going to help them grow up healthy. And, And my experience, listen, I went to church a lot. Okay. In fact, at one point we had five services a week, uh, and and I went to all of them. And yeah, my dad was the pastor and everything. One time we had church every day for 63 days in a row. There was a revival that broke out, and I've probably been to church more than nearly nearly probably anybody that you know. But I'll tell you this much: I still love it. I don't felt that I was deprived as a child, and I don't feel like anything was forced upon me uh, because I've seen uh, the payoff in the end. And one more thing: I know you don't want to uh, force an agenda on your kids, but I'll just tell you this much: the devil doesn't mind forcing his agenda on your kids. You can't follow Pastor Dave Z snapping it. <laughs> Those church people, they're just so mean. <laughs> All right. And yeah, yeah, okay. You know, sometimes they are. But I'll tell you this much. Um, I'm sorry that maybe church people have been mean to you. Uh, they've, they've definitely been mean to me. Church people have hurt me more than anybody else has hurt me. All right? And I'm just going to be honest right now, but I still love church. In fact, Church people hurt my family so bad when I was a teenager, they literally caused us to lose my childhood home, and I spent my senior year of high school living in a garage and showering with a garden hose. That's a true story. And why is that? Okay, my wife's on the front row. This is my acting debut, and she's trying to ruin it here. So, but I still love church. I still love being at church, even though, I mean, there's been people that have stabbed me and my family in the back and hurt us very badly, but I don't blame God for it. And I don't blame every Christian and stereotype all of them and say, well, that must be how they all are. Yeah, there's been some mean ones that I've come across, but they aren't all like that. And I'm not just going to church for them. I'm going to church for God. Amen. All right. And there's more good people than bad people. That's my outlook. Anyway, all right, did you have one more excuse? All right. Well, church is full of hypocrites. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Church is full of hypocrites. Who's ever heard that one? And you know my response to that? I'm not allowed to say this in sermons, but I'm going to say it anyway. Heck yeah, it is. Yeah, it's full of hypocrites. Absolutely. Church is full of hypocrites. But guess what? So is your gym. 
and you're still going over there. I mean, there's people stuffing their face full of donuts and then hitting the treadmill and then going out and doing it all over again and saying they believe in good health. Well, sure they do, but they're a hypocrite because they're not backing it up. And I found out that the grocery store is full of hypocrites, but I still go there. Why? Because they've got something that I need. There's something there that I need. And I'll tell you that church is not made up of perfect people, but it's all about a perfect God. And besides that, you're not perfect either. <laughs> okay, that's, yeah, that's good. Good job. Good job. All right. Praise the Lord. All right, let's hear it for Leah. So we'll see, and we may return that segment in some future weeks. I don't know. But praise God. Uh, but those are things that I've heard over the years as to why people are like, man, I'm not going near a church. And, and listen, people have maybe hurt you. People have hurt me bad. <laughs> but Jesus has been nothing but good to me. And I want to go to his house. I want to sing his praises with brothers and sisters, and I want to do things his way. Amen. And so as we get into the message here, listen, I, I want to put this other that we all understand that there's times when we all miss. I was just looking at my calendar for the year. I'm going to miss at least two Sunday mornings this year, and I'm ticked about it, but it's okay because I'm going to, you know, I'll be doing work. But listen, we all miss sometimes. It happens. And we have people that are, uh, you know, stuck at home with health things going on and whatnot. We're not referencing that. We're talking about when we are a child of God, a born-again Christian, able-bodied, and we could be in God's house with God's people, but we just choose that we consistently don't want to, you're not going to grow strong that way. Amen? You're not going to. And and so you're like, well, I, you know, I, I don't know about that. Well, I'll say this, that. I don't want anything I'm saying to come across as judgmental or legalistic today because that's not me. But I'm preaching this because I know how being connected to church and to the family can stabilize and empower your life. Amen. I'm not desperate to get people in the doors. I mean, God's taking care of that just fine. So it's not that at all. But what I'm saying is I firmly believe that the New Testament church is a gift that God put in place to keep us strong, to keep us connected, and to keep us hearing God's word. It gives us a place to submit. It gives us a place to use the gifts that he's given us. It gives us so many opportunities to grow strong. And if it's a gift that God's given us, and it's a New Testament teaching and doctrine and concept, far be it from me to say, man, I know more than you. Good Lord, God, what are you, what are you talking about? no. This is something that God set up for our roots to grow strong. Amen. So who wants to get into the word today? All right, let's do it. All right. So three things here. Why is church an important part of our roots? Well, number one, because the Bible says it is. That's, and, that, and that's a good enough reason right there. You know, that simply because the Bible says it is. And I want to look this morning at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Can we go there? Hebrews 10, 25. You still with me? Hebrews 10, verse 25, and this is good in every translation. I'm, I'm going to read it in the Living Bible this morning, and I, I usually read out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible, and it says this, Let us not neglect our church meetings, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, 
especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. And so the scripture, New Testament, straight up tells us to not neglect our church meetings or our meeting together, or the King James would say, forsake not the assembling of the saints, right? And so it tells us, New Testament, don't neglect meeting up together like this. Why? We're supposed to encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Now, I know a lot of people who say that they're Christians and don't go to church. And yeah, absolutely. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I don't believe that. You, you can be born again, going to heaven without attending church. I get that. But I don't believe you can be a very strong Christian without ever obeying the word of God and assembling yourselves together. Why? Because the scripture tells us in James 1.22 to be doers of the word and not hearers only or else you're deceiving yourselves. And so for a Christian to say, man, I don't need all that. Well, praise God, you can go to heaven. We get that. But my goal isn't to just skim my way into heaven. I want to be victorious and strong down here on earth before I get up there. I want to be an effective member of the body of Christ. And notice here it says that we are to encourage and warn each other. What does it say? Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, as important as your faith has always been and your church attendance has always been in previous generations, it's even more important now. Who in here needs encouragement on a pretty regular basis? I do. You know, you need warned of danger. It tells us right there that we're to warn each other. You need your faith to grow. And over the last three years, I've preached more sermons on the end times and what we would call the rapture and the return of Jesus than nearly anything else because I believe with all my heart that the end really is very near. And someone would say, like, man, that sounds like doom and gloom. And that sounds like, well, it's doom and gloom if, you don't, if you're not right with God. It's terrifying. But if you're right with the Lord, it's the most exciting thing that you've ever even begun to imagine. I can't wait to go to heaven. Absolutely, man. I'm stoked about this. I'm excited. But I do know that there are people that they aren't ready for this. And so it tells us, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, we need to get together to encourage each other, to warn each other. And I know this much that you're out in the world at your job 40 plus hours a week dealing with negativity, dealing with people just puking all their problems on you, saying nasty, mean things. I mean, listen, I get it. Unless you just simply work in the church, all right, <laughs> uh, you've got a lot of stuff you're dealing with every week of just nonstop negativity and, and whatever else. And I really know and I believe that we need to be able to get in here at least once a week and get yourself recharged, refilled and ready to get back out there and do it all over again. Amen. In fact, the book of Ephesians tells us that we are washed with the water of the word. And when we come in here and we hear the word of God, we're getting washed with the water of the word. And so you can imagine right now 
that my Bible, which still has its Christmas sweater on, by the way. But imagine, man, you're just getting washed with the water by the word. Amen. And it's not because I've got so many great things to say. It's because the Bible will absolutely clean you up. Amen. And uh, we need that every single week. And, and I know for me, man, when I come in and I hear the word of God being preached, it encourages me. It gets me recharged and rebuilt. All right. So number one, why is it a part of our root system? Well, because the Bible says it is. And well, the Bible knows more than we do. And number two, Jesus makes it a priority. Jesus himself makes it a priority. I want to look here at Luke chapter 2 this morning. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Very interesting story in scripture right here. Uh, we find the story of Jesus' parents. Jesus is 12 years old in this story, and his parents lose him. And I don't know if you know this story or not, because it's not one that you know people share all the time, but can you imagine losing Jesus? I mean, come on. I already ratted on myself when my, one of my kids wandered away all the time. And, uh, and so what did we do? Man, we bought a Mickey Mouse backpack with a leash on it so he wouldn't do that. And, you know, we'd go to places. Uh, we went to this submarine or something in San Diego once. And, I mean, he's shooting down the stairs. I'm like, that's the last time I'm losing this kid. And the last time I'm getting judged in this regard from all the other parents everywhere. Oh, actually, it's usually single people because parents know how crazy it is to take a kid to a public place. But anyway, I'm like, no more. We are leashing these children, and they are never getting away again. And so never lost them again. Praise God. Some of you guys need a little leash from Jesus on you so you don't go. So, or, hey, if the shoe fits, wear it or the backpack. So here we have Luke chapter 2, verse 45 through 49. So Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. And, I mean, what a terrifying thing. But here we have it, Luke chapter 2 and uh, uh, verse 45. He's 12 years old. It says, and when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they lost Jesus for three days. That's terrible. They, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Or where was he? Jesus was at church. Sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. And I love what 12-year-old Jesus said to his mama. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Listen, if I go missing, go look down there at the church. That's probably where I'm at. And that's what Jesus told his mom. Why'd you even have to go looking everywhere? Didn't you know that I would be in the temple at church at my father's house? That's where Jesus was. And you think, yeah, well, that was 12-year-old Jesus. I mean, listen. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If 12-year-old Jesus liked going to church, then 2,033-year-old Jesus likes going to church too. Amen? And I'm going to show you Jesus as an adult. Look at chapter 4. 
Because it didn't just this wasn't just a this wasn't just a phase that he was going through. Let's just let him get through this, work his way through it. No. Jesus as an adult loved being in church at the house of God. So Luke chapter four, and we're gonna look here at verse sixteen. Here's the grown up adult Jesus. It says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, all right, his boyhood home, this is his old neighborhood, he's back home, and here he is, and what does he do? He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures, and you can continue seeing where he read from Isaiah, but here's Jesus as an adult. He's in his boyhood hometown, and what does he do? Hey, it's the Sabbath. He goes straight to the synagogue, straight to church, and it says just like he always did. This was his custom. This was his usual thing to do was to go to church, and I'm telling you this morning that Jesus still goes to church today. His Holy Spirit is with us in this building right now. Amen. Psalm 22.3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And I'm telling you, when we all get together like we were just doing and praising and singing, it says God inhabits. Well, what does it mean when you inhabit? It means you dwell there. That's where you reside. That's where you want to be. And when we all get together and praise him, his spirit and his presence fill this place. And there's nothing in the world like this. I love being in the presence of God. Because in his presence, there is safety. In his presence, there is peace. In his presence, there is joy. And I find answers, and I find the comfort that I need. Amen? And so getting into the presence of God, you can get into his presence anywhere, but I'm telling you, it is so important that we join together and get into his presence together. And the third thing I'm going to say today is this. Why is church such an important part of our root system? Number three, because we need a family. We need a family. None of us are called to take this journey alone. But I'll tell you right now, just like your natural family, the church family is not perfect. We're all flawed people following after Jesus. And that's just something that, again, that I I highlight and I underline and I remind you of because church people aren't perfect. And I'll I'll just say that this church is really not perfect. Why? Because I'm the pastor and I've got some issues. (laughs) But thank you, Jesus. He's got the answers. But there's no way that this could be the perfect church because, hey, I'm the pastor here. And beyond that, you go here. And we know you're not perfect, so. I'm kidding. None of us are perfect, all right? But I I read something that this guy wrote a few years back, and I thought that this was so fitting for what we're talking about today. So this guy is a major sports fan, and I got to say, I'm proud of some of you guys. Your your teams are playing today, and you still came to church. That's awesome. Good for you. Shout out to my man Brandon over there. He doesn't want put on blast. This guy's like the biggest football fan I've ever known in my life. 
I was talking, to, we were at, at a pool party one day, and I, I mean, I brought up like the third string backup linebacker for like the, the, the Indianapolis Colts, and he's like, yeah, he went to such and such high school in Florida, and, and he went to such and such college, he averaged blah, 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 and I'm like, how do you know that? The man loves football, but hey, the man loves Jesus, and he's here today, amen? I like that. I like that, man. Jesus first, football second. Or, well, probably not even second. Put your wife next. They like that a lot. Then your kids. Amen. But football, I suppose, could be in your top five. Used to be really high on my list. Not anymore, but it used to be. All right? But this guy, this sports fanatic, he wrote this down. And I'm like, this is really, really great. He said, football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring and summer, I have been an avid sports fan all my life, but I've had it. I quit this sports business once and for all. You can't get me near one of those places again. Want to know why? Every time I go, they ask me for money. The people I sat by didn't seem very friendly. The seats were too hard and not comfortable at all. Sometimes it was too cold. Sometimes it was too hot. And besides, I went to tons of games, and the coach never once came over to visit me. (laughs) I had season tickets to the Indiana Pacers back when I watched basketball still. I went every Friday night. Every Friday night there was a home game. Pastor Katie and I went. I was screaming my head off till I lost my voice. She was usually asleep right beside me in the chair. I still don't get that, but she managed to sleep with thousands of screaming people. And I'm thinking about, like, I spent a lot of money on them. I went, if there was a blizzard, I put sandbags in the back of my Chevy S10 so I could drive through the snow to get to the basketball arena. Dead serious, man. I would go without food. I would go without water. I would go without anything just so I could get there and be in the presence of these people. And so, (laughs) and I mean, and I look back on it, what did I get out of it? You know, a few good memories, but not once did the coach ever come see me. None of the players ever thanked me for my uh, for my participation and my allegiance to them. Nothing. And so this guy's like, yeah, man, I went all those times. Never once did the coach come and visit me. The referees made decisions I didn't agree with. I suspected that I was also sitting with some hypocrites. There were some people there that just came to see their friends and what other people were wearing rather than watch the game. (laughs) Some of the the games I went to went into overtime, and I was late getting home. And I'm just going to say, when I was a sports fanatic, I loved overtime. I went to a baseball game that went into 17 innings one time. I thought it was the best day of my life. I'm serious. I'm like, did I die and go to heaven? What just happened, man? 17 innings, whoa. Then the preacher goes 17 minutes over, and you're like, good Lord, what's he think we're made up here? Come on. (laughs) All right? I'm on schedule, but we may go into overtime today if you don't watch it, all right? So, you know, but when I was in sports, I loved overtime. Then we get into church, you're like, man, he went seven minutes late today. Don't they know that the Baptists are already down there at KFC? Come on, listen, no, you're going to get there. Sometimes the games are in overtime, all right? The band sometimes played songs that I had never heard before, all right? 
it seems that the games are scheduled when I just want to do other things. I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was growing up. I don't want to take my children to any games because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. Now, all right, that all sounds kind of silly when you put it in that light. But when you insert the word church for sports in there, you can kind of see where there's a little bit of a not a very high priority sometimes on the things of God. Now, again, I'm telling you that none of this today is from a judgmental, legalistic thing. We get it, all right? Stuff happens. But at the same time, as a Christian, I need to make God's house a priority. I need to make being with all of you guys and and, and, and being here together, that does need to be a priority, not just if, hey, man, if I got extra time, you know what, uh, the gym's closed today. There's no games on today. I got nothing else to do. I guess I could go down there. Sure, I will grace God with my presence when I should be saying I'm graced to be in the presence of God. I'm not doing him a favor. He's doing me a favor that I get to come and be together in his house with his people in his presence. Dude, I am honored. I am blessed. I love that I get to be together with the people of God. And I don't have to fear, you know, persecution necessarily for being in here. And a couple of years ago, when we did for the first time in our lifetime, face a little bit of a threat of going to church together. Remember that? Wasn't that long ago? Well, the best decision we ever made was to say, you know what? Forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't care if they say we can get together or not. We're getting together and we're having church. Amen. And we did. And I don't regret that. That was crazy. And, you know, I'm not taking things lightly, but that was stupid. You can't tell Christians that they can't come together and worship their God and then say that, well, okay, if you do go together, you just can't all talk at the same time. You can't do your chants together or sing your songs together. I'm like, you quit telling us how to worship our God. We're not putting up with that. And and so I'm so grateful that all of you guys kept coming when we said, you know what, they're telling us not to, but we're going to do it anyway. And we did it. And it was the best decision we've ever made. Because I found out during that time, man, I I had soldiers texting me from Fort Irwin and all sorts of stuff saying, man, I know we're not supposed to get together, but now that I'm not coming to church anymore together, I'm having these nightmares again. I'm having these, you know, and and one guy in particular, man, just his one time of the week that he got a break from it all and got to have a little relief from the stuff that he battled was he got to drive to church on Sunday morning and have two hours with the people of God. And they took that away. And I said, forget that. We're never doing that. The doors will always stay open no matter what they say because people need church. And I'm not going to live with that on my conscience. So praise God. We need this. We need each other. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Let's look there. Last verses of the day. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. Are we still together this morning? Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 21. And I love, man, the book of Ephesians. is It is great. You need to read the whole book of Ephesians. It's phenomenal for the New Testament Christian. It is a major key to your success. But Ephesians 2, 
verses 19 through 21, the Apostle Paul said, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. What good news for us today, man. You may be thinking like, well, I was born into the wrong family. Well, you were born again into the right family. Amen. You are a child of God. And according to Romans chapter 8, God's your father. Jesus is your big brother. And we're all your brothers and sisters if we've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so it says, even you Gentiles. And so that's referring to somebody that's not Jewish by birth. And that's good news for me because I am not Jewish by birth. But it tells us right here that I'm not a stranger. I'm not a foreigner. I don't have to be an outsider or less than. I get to be a member of God's family. And verse 20 says, together. Somebody say together. We are his house. Built, good one, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Amen. Church, listen. Yes, the apostles and the prophets, yeah, they can be the foundation. But the cornerstone of this entire thing, what we're all built around and upon, is Jesus himself. Verse 21 says, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. God is so good, man. Why would I not want to be a part of that? I want that. I want to be a part of that. And when you become a Christian, you become a member of the family. And together we are his house. His temple, Jesus, is the cornerstone. And again, I tell you, man, that if you're looking for the perfect church, this one ain't it. Keep looking. I've, I've gone all over America. I've literally gone all over the world. Russia, Mexico, Nicaragua, and everywhere I can, man. And I go to church in every country I'm in. But I still haven't found the perfect one. Because churches are made up of people. And people are not perfect. And I'll tell you, they'll let you down. And I will tell you that I will probably let you down at some point. True story. I, you know, I am not perfect. And I will probably let you down at some point. And I will probably not do things exactly how you would do them. But I praise God that none of us are perfect. And we know that. And we're not putting on a front. And we're not being fake and saying, yeah, well, I'm perfect. I don't know about you. I'm not perfect. But praise God, I serve a God who is perfect. Amen. We need Jesus every single day. And we're all trying the best we can to live for him. And that's the type of family that I want to be around. I don't want to be in a perfect family. I want to be in a family that's trying their best to grow and to be more like Jesus every single day. And so I say, hey, cut each other some slack. None of us are perfect, but that's what makes an incredible family. And I come from a very wonderful, natural family, 
right? And, you know, my dad, I, I tell us all the time, but I'm not going to go into it because I'm trying to wind down here, but my dad was the first one to break out of alcoholism in the family. And it's so, it's incredible because all, most of the people that I'm related to, they're alcoholics. And uh, they, a lot of them are in jail and not, not living very godly lives. And a lot of people would say, you know, and I hear people say this, born in the same family, raised by the same parents, like, he's just the lucky one. He just, no, he had it all handed. He's the lucky one. No, 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 no. Not lucky. Was bound in the same trap as the rest of the family until he reached out to Jesus. And I'm so grateful because, you know, our, you know, the family that my dad raised were certainly not perfect, but man, we're the first ones that I know of in this side of the family that have not gone through a lot of the unfortunate things that the rest of them have gone through. And none of it's because we were just lucky. It's because it took one person to make a quality decision and say, all I've ever known is alcohol. All I've ever known is all this stuff. But I don't want to know that anymore. I want to get past that and calling on the name of the Lord and making a decision. No matter what, my kids do not have to go through the things that I went through. Do, just because I went through it doesn't mean they have to. And my goal is to protect them from that and give them a better life. And I can promise you right now that the number one best way to give your children a better life than you had was to give them the faith and the foundation that maybe you weren't given. It's, I mean, leave them, yeah, get, it's great to leave the money, sure, yeah. The book of Proverbs says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's great. But what's even more important and better than money is to give your kids the faith in Jesus Christ and to teach them how to pray when the devil comes to absolutely shipwreck their life. That's the best gift you could ever, ever, ever pass on to your kids. And I believe one of the key ways to do that is through church. Church ain't perfect. This church ain't perfect. We're trying the best we can to live for Jesus every single day. But I know this much. I'd a whole lot rather be around all of you guys than a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of fake, shallow, empty people in this world that are trying to make everybody think that they just got it all together. No, no, no. I'd rather be around us and say, hey, we know that <laughs> sometimes we're messed up, but we know it. And we're trying together to live for Jesus and to raise these kids together in the right way. One final story. The spring of 1940 found Hitler's army destroying the French troops and preparing for a siege of Great Britain. The Dutch had already surrendered, as had the Belgians, and the British army struggled on the coast of France in the channel port of Dunkirk. Nearly a quarter million British soldiers and over 100,000 Allied troops faced capture or death, they were surrounded with only really one way out. The Nazi troops only a few miles away in the hills of France closed in for the easy kill. The Royal Navy had enough ships to save barely 17,000 men out of over 300,000 that needed rescued. And then, while a despairing world watched with fading hope, a bizarre fleet of ships appeared on the horizon of the English Channel. Tugboats, fishing boats, lifeboats, sailboats, rowboats, any personal watercraft, 
all manned by a bunch of civilians, sped to the rescue of all these men. And this ragtag fleet of boats eventually rescued 338,682 men and returned them home to the shores of England as the pilots of the, the Royal Air Force and the German Air Force fought each other in the skies above the channel. And it's gone down as one of the most remarkable rescues in history. These weren't trained men. These were civilians that just got into any floating device they could get in to go rescue their trapped countrymen and allies. And I think about it, the church of Jesus Christ, likewise, is God's imperfect army. The church is a mix of flawed individuals on a rescue mission commissioned by God. We're here to help each other. We're here to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness. And you may think, well, I don't have all the training. I don't have all the resources. Neither do I. But guess what? When we join together, the enemy may laugh and say, that's a ragtag bunch. What a motley crew that is. It ain't so funny when we rescue people together from the kingdom of darkness and they are translated into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And so I strongly believe in the power of the New Testament church. It's got flaws. It ain't perfect, but it's a whole lot better than how it is out there. And it is a major key to your success and a massive part of your root system if you're going to grow strong for Jesus, if you're going to raise your kids and your grandkids to be successful and not repeat the same mistakes that you made. Amen. Got to be rooted in the word. And another thing is to be rooted in God's house. Hallelujah. Can we stand up together today? Praise the Lord. I pray that you've received from the word of God today. The Lord really had laid that on my heart, and I wanted to share that with us. So I'm going to have Pastor Josh here lead us in a little worship. But I'm going to do, I'm going to throw you a major curveball today, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm going to do something I've never done, and it's this. Um, you know, I, I was watching uh, Pastor Mark T. Barclay in Midland, Michigan this week, and he did something in his service that instantly the Lord spoke to my heart and said, we need to do that at High Desert this Sunday. And so it's this. He took the chance to anoint and pray for every single person in the service that day. And you're like, well, how are you going to do that? There's a lot of people here. Well, just hear me out. Here's what I feel led of the Lord to do for us this morning is I want to, I do, I want to anoint and lay hands on every single person here. Of course, we wouldn't force you to do that, but I don't see how you wouldn't potentially want that in your life, especially as we're starting a new year. And you know, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2 says that the laying on of hands is a doctrine of the New Testament church. Paul told Timothy that a gift was given unto him in 2 Timothy 1, 6 when his hands had been laid upon him. And I love Deuteronomy 34, 9. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And so I believe, and I could, there's a lot of verses about the laying on of hands, but I believe in that. And also in the anointing with oil. Psalm 92, 10, the writer said, I will be anointed with a fresh oil. 
And in Isaiah 61, in reference to being anointed, it says that God will give you the oil of joy in your life. Amen. And so if you're new to the Christian faith or your church didn't really do this type of thing, it's not a weird thing. It's just a Bible thing. And, and when we anoint someone with oil, we simply just put a drop of oil on our, our finger and just lay hands on you and, and, and have the Lord bless you. And there's nothing magical about the oil. We get that. I mean, to be honest, yeah, I did get it from Jerusalem, but that's not why it's important. It's important because the Bible says it's important. And in fact, James chapter 5 says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And if they committed sins, they'll be forgiven. And so what we're going to do this morning is this. And, and uh, again, if you're like, well, I'm not down with that, that's fine, man. You don't have to be down with it. I just want to obey God. And as being pastor here now, I, I want to do everything I can for this church and for these people. And, and if the Lord's saying do something, I... I'm not going to say, hey, I've got a better idea. Strike me dead. I don't want to do that. I don't have any better ideas than what he has. And so here's uh, here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to have uh, my dad, Pastor Samples, come up, my wife, Pastor Katie. And what we're going to do is this, all right? It's kind of like we do for communion time around here. We're not going to stop and give a personal prophecy or prayer session to each person. I, I'm not going to do that. But we're going to simply lay our hand on your head and bless you in the name of Jesus. I've got nothing for nobody, but Jesus has something for you today. Amen. Don't be looking at us and saying, well, what you got? I nothing. We've got Jesus, and he's got it. And so the way that we would do this is this. Just like communion, we would come up only on this side, okay? So we're going to come up the aisle right here, and we're just going to anoint you with oil and bless you. You can go down this way and head down that aisle and go back to your seat. And I encourage you, let's worship God and, and let's believe the Lord that as we're stepping out in faith and maybe this is something new for you, then I just want to encourage you, man, to do it by faith. And I have never, I've uh, in ministry, man, I've been doing this since, you know, full-time ministry since I was 21 years old. I've never done this before, but I believe that the Lord is, uh, is calling us to do this today. The year is new. It's still fresh. And I'm thinking, man, if I can get any advantage, if I can get any touch from God for the rest of this year, sign me up. I want it. Amen. And so Josh is going to lead us in uh, some worship here. And I'm going to ask that, hey, if you want in on this, and I, 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 I think you should. But anyway, come on up. And again, we're not going to do a personal prayer session over you. We just want to lay hands on you like the Bible says. I want you to receive it from God and then make your way back to your seats this morning. Amen. And so ushers, you can help people line up right over here and we'll do this. seen your face 
Jesus, I can't get enough, and I can't walk away, and no, I can't walk away, for I have seen your
There is nothing like your love And I just want to be where you are And I just want to be near your heart There is nothing like your love Jesus, there is nothing nothing like your love and Jesus there is nothing like your
There is nothing like your love. Holy, 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 Jesus, I love. Jesus, I love you. Holy, 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 Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I
Jesus, there is nothing like your love, and I just want to be where you are, and I just want to be near your heart, and there is nothing like your love, and Jesus, there is nothing Jesus, I can't get enough, and I can't walk away. nothing like your love Jesus there is nothing like your love and I just want to be where you are and I just want to be near your heart there is nothing like your love. Jesus, there is nothing like your
thank you all so much for being patient with us. I know this may seem like it's taken a little bit of time, but hey, I told you, sometimes we go into overtime, right? And that's what we're doing, just a few more minutes, but hook up your faith with these guys, man. This is your sister, your family, and we want God working in everybody's life. I appreciate you hooking your faith up with us and surrounding each other. It, it really is important. Thank you so much. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you.
Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Who's been glad to be in the house of the Lord together today? Amen. All right. Well, you can brag to all your friends that your church went into overtime today, and it was just incredible. So, <laughs> amen. Well, we love you guys so much. You are an incredible family, and uh, I'm just I'm, I'm thankful that God allows me to be a part of this. I really am. Um, well, we want to remind you that we have service tonight at 6 o'clock. It's going to be great. And, of course, Church Wednesday at 7. Uh, we'll have the missions meeting right now. So if you're interested in the missions trip, if you have any interest at all, meet Miss Cindy in the coffee bar. We'll get right to it. I know your time is valuable. We'll get right into the meeting for that, and we will let you go on your way. Amen. Can we raise our hands together as we pray today? The Apostle Paul said that men everywhere ought to raise their holy hands in prayer, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much that we have a family to be a part of, Lord. And yeah, we know, hey, we may not be perfect, but we sure are trying to be more and more like you, Lord. Maybe we haven't arrived yet, but we've left. Lord, the, the ship has sailed, and we're on our way to being what you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that this will be an incredible week for everybody here. Bless these families. Bless these marriages, Lord. Bless these children. And we thank you that you're using us to be the light of the world everywhere we go. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, can somebody say amen today? All right. Amen. Let's speak some words of faith over Barstow, and then you can be dismissed. Let's do it. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We will see you tonight.